Hello, and welcome to Blades Pod. It's Wednesday, the 30th of August. My name is Ben. Andrew is on holiday, so stepping in to, to, to fill his normal size shoes, I suppose, is a friend of the podcast, uh, occasional guest, uh, Mr. Chef United Way, along with In Good Nick as well, I suppose. Uh, it is Hal Stewart. How are you doing? I think Andrew and I probably have roughly the same sized feet. So this feels like a fairly effortless stepping into of said shoes. And thank you very much for having me back. Noel, I really, really appreciate you joining me to talk about the Man City game. We'll talk about Cameron Archer's signing as well. That was confirmed since um, since I last recorded an episode of this. Uh, we might touch on the Everton game as well, because that's coming up in a few days' time. It's quite nice having two home games in uh, in six days, actually. But um, yeah, Man City, let's start there. We almost played the perfect game, I thought, and it still wasn't quite enough. What, what did you think? Two ways of looking at it, really, because I've, I've heard so many people say, tactical masterclass it was so close to being a really memorable result and that's true and then I've heard the other side of people saying we were really lucky that we didn't get absolutely destroyed in that game the stats were off the charts at 62 minutes Manchester City their expected goals was I think 2.49 if I remember rightly that's just before they scored so yeah, so that's just just under three, uh, you know, quick maths. So <laughs> it could have been a very different story, but actually I think that probably was the correct way to play it against the best team, arguably, in the world. Heroics throughout. No one played poorly. Mm. I mean, you could argue there were some mistakes, but no one deliberately went out there and didn't put that shift in, which, as you know, Ben, it's all we ask for as Sheffield United fans. It is, particularly in a situation like this where it's kind of hiding to nothing. I, there can't be too many United fans that thought we were, you know, we were going to realistically get uh, get much out of this one. I certainly wasn't one of them. Um, yeah, I, I was going to uh, potentially pour a bit of cold water and say that Man City did have four big chances missed. They had 3.6 expected goals in the end. So this is a game that could easily have finished four or five nil to Man City. And then perhaps we're having a slightly different conversation right now. But I was heartened by it. I thought, I completely agree with you that um, it is the right approach. I think we we, we don't have, you can't go toe-to-toe with Man City. That, that really would have ended up with an absolute hammering. And yeah, I think we, I think we just tried to sort of take the game as, as, as deep as we could, basically. Keep it nil-nil as long as possible. Um, and it, it still wasn't enough, as I said. I feel like um, you know a team like us going up against Man City is kind of like kind of like walking on a tightrope. Like, you've just got to be completely perfect and you make one mistake and it all comes crashing down. And unfortunately, that is what happened. But can we talk about Jaden Bogle's goal like straight, straight out the what game? What a moment. We did it. I said it before the start of the season, and you, uh, you you flagged it to me as well. We scored a meaningful goal against Manchester City. That was one thing that I really wanted out of this season. And all right, if you want to be like a party pooper, you can say, well, it wasn't actually meaningful in the end because you know we, we lost the game. But try telling me that it wasn't meaningful at the moment because that was a fantastic moment, weren't it? Yeah, roof came off. I mean. What a tackle as well. Tackle pass from Vinny Souza, who I'm mm. starting to adore. He's clearly my kind of player. 23 years since we scored a league meaningful goal at Bramall Lane against Manchester City. The last one was Michael Brown 
and you know we just got him from Manchester City, so yeah. this one was totally unrelated to Manchester City in any way, shape, or form. And and what a strike as well. And you know Bogle, I remember when he got his first appearance in the Premier League, wearing that pink shirt away mm. from home, and he scored. And then he did it again this time when he came on. The guy knows where the back of the net is. He plays so often more like a winger. I'm seeing the same, by the way, on the other flank at left wing back. Larucci looks to me a winger, mm. a winger and a winger again. Uh, but but we do have that. And I think actually when we play teams like, uh, well, of course, when we're recording this, we've got Lincoln City tonight, uh, which big we don't game. know the result. Yeah, big game. We don't know the result of. I actually went last time we played Lincoln in the League Cup. I missed the opening goal and we ended up winning 6-1. The one was the opening goal from Lincoln. Um, <laughs> but we could utilise, for example, our very, very attacking wing-backs in games like that and you take the game to the opposition and I think your defensive frailties are less exposed. But you made a point that you have to be perfect to get a result against Manchester City. I would maybe add in the Premier League you have to be perfect because we saw against Nottingham Forest mm. three minutes in that air kick from Max Lowe, you know, and maybe there was an injury because, you know, trodden a sprinkler or whatever it was at Derby. <laughs> that, was, that was the reason for that. But I, I don't know if I'm going to allow that. That looked just like carelessness and taking your eye off the ball. And it just says to me in the Premier League, you cannot put a foot wrong because unlike in the championship, you will get punished. Yeah. And, uh, not to skip ahead, but that's obviously two games running we've conceded in the 89th minute or thereabouts, which is mm. slightly frustrating. It's obviously done us out of um, done us out of two precious points there and leaves us on zero points. But yeah, this this opening goal was um, just a fantastic, almost I mean, just shockingly surprising that we did this. I think this is where you're talking about like those those wing backs being more like wingers. I, I, I was really impressed we managed to equalise and then create a couple of other chances around that equaliser as well because I thought once Man City went 1-0 up I mean Rodri had probably already made like 100 passes at this point and you know I, I was well, while I was watching the game I was envisaging like uh, you know the, the Opta tweets afterwards of like Nathan Ake completed all 156 passes attempted during this game against Sheffield United <laughs> it just felt like it was that kind of game so for us to go a goal down and then actually be able to push Man City back a bit, even with you know a, a side that's still really uh, coalescing. If you're right, like you know we McBurney only played about twenty minutes, I think it was, you know, for fitness reasons. We've got um, yeah Osborne, who was already probably the fourth or third choice at left wing back. He's gone off injured. The fact that we're able to push them back and create a few chances was quite encouraging, and I think that's where the value of Bogle comes in. It was really. Good to see him back out there. As much as I love Baldock and think he is a, a fantastic right back slash right wing back, Bogle has just got that. He has just got that X factor in the opposition box, hasn't he? You mentioned the, the goal on his um, Premier League debut, and it's yeah, it's it's not unusual for him to pop up and have a chance in there. It's really not. And he can cross, and sometimes Baldock's crossing frustrates me. Mm. And and we're talking on a day where uh, sort of few hours earlier. There was a rumour of, is it AEK or Ike Athens? I never know how to say it. Uh, it's AEK, is it? I think oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it said both, and I can't remember which is right. Uh, apparently being uh, interested in George, just for, you know, you know, I'm not sure a lot of people are already aware of this. There's been a lot of interest in a lot of our players, but not all of the stories get leaked. Uh, the way it looks like it, Sheffield United do not want to sell, of course, and we're 
caveating this with we've seen what's happened with Sander and Illiman. If the player wants to go, everything changes. Mm. Now, I just hope that that doesn't happen because until the transfer window slams shut, and it always slams shut, it doesn't close, I am nervous and I am on tenterhooks because I completely agree with everything you've said about Baldock. And yeah, it's great to have Bogle. But what I don't want to be doing is losing any more key players. And I do consider George Baldock a key player despite Bogle's abilities. Baldock would be a disastrous loss. A disaster. <laughs> I mean, that that really would feel like we're just not that bothered about the rest of the season. Because, I mean, yeah. yeah, despite what I just said about Bogle, his, uh, his fitness record is patchy, to say the, mm. say the least. What we couldn't have is... Losing our first three games and then losing arguably our three best players. I think that would any that would test any Sheffield United fans' patience. I'd say so. But this goal, yeah, Benny Traore runs at Carl Walker. Walker takes it off him uh, and then back heels it into Traore, which is very nice of him. And uh, <laughs> he squares it for Hamish slightly behind him. Then, as you say, yeah, Souza with a crunching tackle slash pass and. As soon as this broke to Bogle, I think everyone in the ground just thought, shoot. And he had he had so much time to like steady himself and then yeah, just fire it in via deflection. It was I was beautifully in line with this goal. So pretty much the second it left his foot, I started celebrating. And yeah, it was sort of that mix of like obviously, you know, the the joy of a goal, but kind of hilarity as well, of like, oh my god, we've we've just equalized against you know the the literal best team in Europe, probably the best team in your world in the world, as you said, the team with the best striker, the best players, the best manager, you know, unlimited resources, and we've actually equalised against them. How confident were you that we'd get a point at that moment? You know, it was almost like an out of body experience. I was watching myself jumping up and down, hugging my buddy, my blades pal Hayden, and actually, I had in my head you saying, "I just want us to score." a meaningful goal against Manchester City. And I was like, we've done it. Yeah, We've done the thing. And you, you did a pre-season pod looking at things you want to achieve. And we, we, ticked, a, we ticked a big one off. Yep. <laughs> uh, and that shouldn't have been running around my head, but it was. <laughs> and then there's always that moment when you think, right, we've now, my dad always used to say this, we've scored too early. <laughs> <laughs> and with five minutes to go, well, in the olden days, it was five minutes to go. Nowadays, it could easily be 10, 15 minutes to go with how much time they're adding on since we saw that at the World Cup. It seems mm. to be something that referees have been implementing this season. I don't like it. <laughs> it's just more time for a, a team like Sheffield United to be biting fingernails. I feel like it's going to happen all through the season. So I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was unconfident, is that a word? I would just say that there was every single moment Manchester City got into our half, my heart was in my mouth. Because once you've got something to lose in football, it's suddenly so much worse as a feeling. And actually, yeah. it's one of the reasons I think we love football, is that it, it creates so many emotions, so many feelings that nothing else in life really can conjure up. Um, and then there's that sucker punch. And in a way, when it happened, I was probably like you, probably very much resigned to, right, well, that was possibly a bit to be expected. We saw it literally in the previous game. Yeah. And, and, then, and then we had another chance. You know, and if, uh, if people missed it, Ollie McBurney tweeted Anel Ahmed Hodzic saying you should have got your head on the chance that Anel would, would have at the fast stick because he went with his foot. And Anel responded with an image of E.T., sort of <laughs> suggesting if he had the neck of E.T., he would have gone with it with his head and it's good that we've got that kind of banter in the dressing room and that they're still clearly relaxed as a group because I'll tell you what like you said earlier that cohesion isn't there yet because what is it eight players 
you know, you've only, you've only got 11 that you pick uh, and we've brought in this many new mm. additions. It is going to take time to gel. And if our business had been done far earlier, like it should be when you finish second, not in the playoffs, it can actually mean that you, you hit the ground running because actually momentum is so important in the Premier League. You want to start well. We've done exactly the opposite. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I did enjoy that uh... Armadotic tweet and uh, yeah, <laughs> was, uh, I think I thought the same thing at the time. I was like, "Why has he not gone with his head?" But yeah, he pretty probably couldn't have reached it in the end. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, you, you shift that your emotions shift to like, "Oh God, what you know?" Now that we've got something to protect, like, how bad will it feel if we throw it away? Well, fortunately. You know, I'd only made us wait three minutes before we threw it away. At least it wasn't the ninety-seventh minute. But um, I, I really. I, I think I was just lost in the moment, I guess, of like, we've equalised, this is amazing, like, such a great feeling to see us score this goal, but I was still pretty sure we were going to lose the game, and I think, I feel like City had two or three chances before they actually did score, so in the in those next three minutes, so I wasn't remotely shocked. Obviously, the way it comes about is um, is frustrating. Yasser Larushi, yeah. I don't know what he's trying to do here. Can you, I, I've been watching it back this morning. Can you try and... Uh, if, you know, shed some light on what LaRouche is trying to do here? I haven't been able to bring myself to watch it back, actually. Uh, at the time, I, I'm so glad I wasn't doing anything live because I don't like to swear, and I turned the air blue. I don't think I've ever been as angry, and I shouldn't be... I don't like directing anger at one player because, I mean, LaRouche himself was... He was so distraught at full time. And obviously he didn't mean to do what he did. But for me, and maybe it's just because I'm old, you stick that into Rosette. It Chris Morgan does not, if he's our defensive coach, let that one slide. All right. That is such a simple one to clear. I don't quite know. I haven't seen it again. You might have to talk me through exactly how I remembered it. But it seemed like it was an easy one to put into touch. And we regroup. And we go again. But, uh, <laughs> but as it was, it allowed uh, Kyle Walker, you know, the story of redemption. And I know we would then have another opportunity for uh, redemption glory with LaRucci. And he, when he had options to cross, decided to go for, as I say, glory and, and blazed over. And I think that actually even possibly even annoyed me more because mm. that said to me that he doesn't make the right decisions. That's two opportunities there. You've got to prove to me that you can, A, have good positioning, and B, make the right decision when you are in those positions. And I've now watched every minute he's played for Sheffield United, and he has concerned me with those two aspects of his game. However, I like a lot of other aspects of his game, so I don't want it to sound like I'm getting on top of the lad. I think he has tremendous athleticism. He's really hardworking. But for me, he looks like a winger. And I know we don't play with wingers, so that's largely redundant. Yeah, I'm, I'm repeating myself a bit here, but he's he, he wasn't great defensively for uh, I don't know. How you say this team's name is it Tro- Trois? Troyes? Troyes? Yeah, <laughs> I said Troyes, and then I got a lot of grief. So let's it's go. Probably with Troyes. Troyes, right? Yeah, the t- the French league on team. He uh, he wasn't good defensively for them, but he was good going the other way. And um, yeah, I think so. I this uh, the 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 cop pillar did for me here um, in the ground. This action took place as, as so much of the game seems to do in in this like <laughs> cop pillar takes up maybe two percent of my view of the pitch during a match, and so much of the game happens behind those two percent. Um, I mean, I missed uh, Keith Gillespie's goal that you were talking about in the previous pod because of the pillar against Man United. Oh uh, yeah, I, I remember that. That was the season I decided to move from the cop. <laughs> <laughs> It's like I can see both. I can see both goals, like the full width of the pitch. But anyway, the 
that I think a cross came in from Man City, went over Haaland's head, and my last sort of sighting of it was, ah, Larouche's got this. Like he's, you know, he's, he's running onto this. This is going to get, as he says, stuck in the stand. Two seconds later, Kyle Walker has the ball. He's in our penalty area, and Rodri's scored. Like, how has that happened? Watching it back, I think Larouche is trying to sort of shield it, like either to just get the ball under control or um, uh, or to potentially win a free kick. He's sort of trying to lean into Walker, but Walker's too canny for him and goes around him. And yeah, it's, it's, it's just bad defending. I, I, I'll return to uh, him in a second, but it's a hell of a finish by Rodri. I didn't realise oh. that this bobbles off, um, I think it might be Alvarez that's in there, and Rodri just swings his foot through and absolutely blasts it into the net. Hell of a finish. Yeah, Rodri was man of the match for me in mm. terms of the whole piece. And I actually wasn't that impressed with Haaland. I know he scored. I know he celebrated with a former boxer. All of that's great. <laughs> but uh, but Rodri, for me, was dictating the, the tempo, the pace, and controlled the game. I, I never really watched him like I did in that match. And I was I was like, wow, I didn't actually know this guy was as good as he... Obviously, he's going to be good if he's playing for Manchester City. Mm. But I thought he was world-class. And he's I don't a like riot to, player. I've, I like, don't like to use that term, but he was. Yeah, I, I've sort of... Um, I feel like I've drifted away from Premier, like neutral Premier League football in the last couple of years. Like Still sort of semi-scarred from our, our last time in this division. Mm, I don't watch same. as much Premier League football as I used to. Um, but every time I watch Man City, I just think Rodri is like... Is just so damn good at what he does. Like just an incredible defensive midfielder, but actually can do it all going the other way as well. So yeah, like you, thought it was absolutely outstanding. And um, yeah, brilliant finish. Uh, yeah, a, a, a bit gutting, but not totally shocking that that happened. I suppose um, you mentioned something there. I wanted to quickly return to. I can't. Oh, Harland. Yeah, what? A, uh, I'm jumping about all over the place here. <laughs> what a strange player he is. Like yeah. you know, the, the, obviously. Uh, we saw him against us at Wembley, and I, I don't. He was nowhere near as involved in that game, I don't think, as he was on Saturday. He's like, there's times where you think, is this guy actually good at football? <laughs> you know, when he's sort of almost tripping over the ball, or he's, it, it looks a bit cumbersome, and then he does something else where you're just like, oh, okay, no, he's, he's just like, he's like a Terminator. You know, you, he's inevitable. You cannot stop him. He's eventually going to do something because he's so. Like physically far ahead of all these, all the defenders, basically. Um, yeah, what, what did you think of his his ninety minutes, Harland? Well, Jackie Longthrow dealt with him in the semi final, but unfortunately, Jackie did get beaten uh, for his goal. I spoke to a couple of Man City fans after the game, and they say that he's good at scoring goals. Mm-hmm. Do you know what? I'd take a striker like that. <laughs> well, when the rest of your team is that good, you yeah. don't need a striker to do anything but score goals, do you? Yeah, and that and that is what he's really, really good at. And yeah, you're right. You know, in in the game, he does at times look a little clumsy. But if he can do that, incredible. I also heard from these Man City fans because we were talking a little earlier about you know the way to approach this kind of game. There was one thing that both of them said that was quite interesting, which was that the teams that have beaten Man City, the lesser teams, shall we say, are actually the teams that have had a go at them. And they cited mm. uh, most recently Southampton. You might remember that denied them winning in the uh, I think it was the League Cup. Um, by knocking mm. them out. And they said that Southampton actually decided not to sit back, not to let City have all the possession, but to actually have a go. And it caught City off guard because they didn't think Southampton would do that. Now, I don't, I didn't watch that game, so I don't know if that's true, but that's what a couple of City fans told me. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe because we, we did lose, maybe we got it wrong. Uh, but I thought, having watched the game, and when, certainly when we equalised, I thought, this is a tactical masterclass. They'll be doing <laughs> dissertations on this performance if we can hold out. But it wasn't to be. No, I thought we, uh, I thought we rattled Haaland a bit. 
to be honest. And you know, credit to his uh, professionalism, I suppose that he um, kind of held it together and wasn't, you know, he, he didn't really sort of give it the big man or anything when he actually did break through. But he, he definitely looked a little wound up in the first half. I, I don't know if you saw, but like he was kind of tangling with Armad Odzic from corners and you know, repeatedly going to the referee and having a, you know, complaining about something. I'm not even sure what it was because. I thought he was the one doing the fouling a lot of the time. But, yeah, I've, from what I have seen of him for Man City, this is one of the first times I've seen him look a bit a bit disgruntled, a bit frustrated. He obviously missed a penalty as well, and he, he, he missed a, another really good chance in the second half, and it was pulled back across to him. So, yeah, I, th- I thought we did a pretty good job on him. I, I, I can't put any real blame on... Uh, Robinson for the actual no. goal that he did score. I think I think the only blame is that Robinson isn't seven foot tall. I, I, I just I don't see what else you can do against a player like that. I think you just have to hold your hands up and go. That was a great cross, and it was you know it found the one player possibly on earth who could get that high to head it in yeah. that that sort of power. So yeah, did, did you the same? Didn't really think any yeah. much else could be done about that. I completely agree, and that's one thing with Haaland. He just knows when to leap, when to be in that right position. And positioning is something I think that is maybe not always that highly uh, valued uh, by fans of the modern game, but positioning is the most important thing, uh, arguably, in football. It's then what you do with it, of course. But I watch players in a different way now to when I was a kid, and I I do look at where players are standing when they don't have the ball. Mm. And I do think that's something that we have normally been really good at, and I know that Paul Heckenbottom places a lot of emphasis on with the ball and without the ball. And so maybe some of the new players... Actually, it's my mum who WhatsApped me uh, a few times about during that game, because my mum never misses a game. She watches uh, all of them either at the matches or by other means and she was saying that it, the new players are the ones that don't quite look like they get what we have to do yet hmm. and I think I think that's quite right she didn't quite put it like that but you know I knew that's what she meant and also the referee I thought you know if Harlem was complaining a lot that referee was very much listening to the superstars and mm. it was sort of 75 minutes before you know the whole game where it was given everything to City and the same kind of fouls were being ignored we had to wait a long time for our first free kick to be given I thought that the foul and the yellow card on Asula was quite honestly one of the most ridiculous decisions I've ever seen yeah. um, Asula could not have known where his hand was going if he did catch the City lad and he was fouled repeatedly but both before that and after that I thought the penalty which I'm sure we'll get onto was one of those which I can see why nowadays that is given a penalty but also I'd love your thoughts on if you have your hands behind your back as you're sliding in from a standing position, you're going to land on your coccyx and that's going to hurt. So you naturally put your hands by your side and you cushion your fall. And I've not played football at a particularly high level, but even just going out on the grass to fall over, I'm going to put my hands down. You just instinctively, you almost can't avoid it. And this is what the rule makers have perhaps didn't play the game or, or don't know how to fall. You just, you just do it. Uh, so he can't remove his arms in that position and, and if he does like I say you can put them behind your back and fall but you, you might hurt yourself and maybe that's what players are going to have to do they're going to have to take one on the coccyx for the team but it seems really unnatural and we're going to have to change the way uh, because you know I love American football like catchers have had to change the way that they protect the mound and it's it's totally unnatural and this might be the way that footballers have to approach balls put into the penalty box you're going to have to put your hands in a place where you, you think right I've almost got to pretend I've got no arms I've got to make them almost completely invisible in a way that that means it's going to be harder for me to get to ground quickly. Yeah, or just not dive in, I suppose. I, and I, I say this not as um, uh, I think Egan's completely blameless in this one as well. It's, it's 
So it is a, it, to me, it's a very clear penalty. Like the ball it hits him on the arm. The arms, you know, out at his side, as you're saying, because he's doing this sort of dive to try and block the cross. It's just a crap law, but it is the law. And if that wasn't given in our favour, I, I would, I don't know, be throwing my toys out the pram, I think. Or, you know, <laughs> I was going to say ripping up my season ticket, but it's made of plastic, <laughs> so I don't think I can do that. Too um, early for that. But, sh- but should it be the law? I guess that's that's the question, isn't it? Because, you, you know, the law is often cite as uh, hands in an unnatural position. Well, as I've said, I didn't believe they were unnatural. I, I mean, I knew it was going to be given. There wasn't a second where I thought, oh, he's not going to give that. I understand yeah. the rule. I just don't think it's uh, one that particularly makes sense. It's certainly not a deliberate handball. No, and it's I suppose it's it's one of those things that sort of it, it does favour the better team in these situations because mm. they're going to be in the penalty area more. They're going to have more of these like quick interchanges in the box where you know somebody's flicking a first time cross or something like that, and defenders aren't set. So, it, it, I mean, I'm sure the rule wasn't written to you know we're going to favour the big teams with this rule, but, but I think, it does. I think by its nature, it does. So yeah, I, I would You're spot on. I would make hand. I would like handballs to not be as either not as easy to punish, if you like, or just have a less harsh, um, uh, what's the word, Out, well, less harsh penalty, I suppose, well, literally. What about this then, um, the dark arts? Because, if you, like you said, these, these players are so good for these bigger clubs that they can actually deliberately kick the ball onto an arm, <laughs> you know, and they do. Uh, and, and I know that from speaking to some professional footballers and, you know, they won't like to admit that. But we don't do that. Sheffield United don't seem to do that. I mean, we don't get in the box a lot. But also the dark arts, we saw it a lot. Jack Grealish is one of these players that he might go down with very little contact, but he'll win the free kick every time. Mm. We don't play that way. And personally, I don't want us to play that way. But it's a cute way of playing that the referees in the Premier League will reward Every single time, do Sheffield United need to employ these dark arts to try and see out results? Yeah, well, we've got to get a bit more of the ball first, I think. <laughs> get in the box a few more times. That's that's where I'd start, I reckon. Um, yeah, th- sorry, we're going on a hell of a tangent here, but I, I, you know, I don't get to talk to you uh, as often as I do. Get to talk to uh, to Roy, for example. So, um, yeah, it, it seems, and I know this isn't a hugely original thought, but it, it seems sort of mental to me that. Um, like a handball like that is is worth a goal if you like you know it's uh, mm. i think like what is this like 78% of penalties are scored so it's basically the fact that the ball was flicked into a defender's arm is worth like 0.78 of a goal and that just seems completely disproportionate for it's what a it great is. point i've never really thought of it when it's been put like that but it's not yeah. it's not an original i've seen other football writers okay but well, i've not heard it this, so but... i'm giving you all the credit yeah, it, I mean, I don't know, just a free kick or something instead on the edge of the box, like with a wall, like it is with the, like a yellow card. I don't know what the answer is, but it just seems mental that that's like, you know, it's such a low scoring sport that a, a bit of incidental contact as that was, it was obviously not by no means deliberate by Egan. I don't think he was, you know, spreading his arms to try and block the cross. It's just so happened his arm was in that place. So, yeah, it's a, it's a clear penalty, obviously, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a crap law, as I said, and mm. hopefully, eventually, we'll 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 change that. Um, I guess the, I don't know, maybe if you're a rule maker, you're like, well, why would I want there to be less goals in in an already low scoring sport? But hopefully, they'll they'll see the sense in um, some goals being more interesting than others, and penalties aren't that interesting. Um, fortunately, Harlan smashes it against the post. What a, what a delightful thing that was. Um, Second time Man City have missed a penalty uh, at that end in the last few years because uh, Dean Henderson saved one from Jesus, I believe it was, in our last Premier League season. So, um, yeah, yeah, that was that was nice. Enjoyed that one. Uh, 
there was a, a little pause when the ball went out. And I thought, oh, God, this is going to get retaken, <laughs> isn't it? But fortunately, fortunately, everybody was okay. Um, can I just jump back a bit to a few things? We've, I, know, I appreciate we've talked about this game almost completely uh, inverted, if you like, we've been going backwards. Yeah, I was going to say, if anyone didn't see the game, you've no idea what happened <laughs> or the chronology of how yeah. it happened. <laughs> it's, this is my fault because I wanted to talk about Bogle's goal first and obviously that comes right at the end of the game. But I will just jump back to that Bogle goal because I want to talk about the Kyle Walker double assist. And I suppose this this is a little bit of a segue from talking about refereeing. Um Walker obviously gives the ball away in the box uh, for Triore that ends up being the goal. I didn't realise this at all at the time, but McBurney is in a very clear offside position, and I think you can make a case that he's interfering no. with play. He's kind of stood on top of the goalkeeper. I'm not having that. I, I've seen that one again, and I don't think he's interfering in the keeper's line of sight. Yes, he was offside. I think that would have been very harsh. I was worried about it. But then I was ended up being more concerned about who's going to pay for the advertising hoarding, the electronic advertising hoarding, no less, which will cost a great deal more. You've got to take that out of Kyle Walker's wage. What happened here? Did it, was it part of him sliding off the pitch or did he actually kick out? No, he repeatedly stud kicked it with anger because he's, naughty such, boy, he's such Kyle. a pro. He just <laughs> hates making mistakes. And uh, yeah, I thought that was, uh, I mean, I'm only joking. He's not going to be blamed for that. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't have disallowed that goal. And I, I tell you what, when you were talking about the laws, oh, I was salivating at the thought of someone saying, how can you rewrite the laws of football? I would have, <laughs> I would have a field day doing that, and I tell you what, the game would be probably a lot worse, <laughs> potentially a lot more fun though. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I agree that uh, I don't think that Bernie's interfering with play there. However, uh, a qualified referee and the VAR might disagree with us. Um, I could have seen it getting ruled out. Fortunately, I said it was a Carl Walker double assist. And there's a, um, a lesser applied or, or known rule here, which I, I thought was a really... I thought this was a recent addition to the offside law. Oh, because he was off the pitch, wasn't he? He was off so, the pitch. Yeah. So it counts, um, yeah. Yes. Uh, I thought this was a recent addition, but apparently it's been around since 2008. And what? Yeah, I know. I, that, that blew my mind as well. I'll, I'll just bring up the official wording here. So a, a defending player who leaves the field of play without the referee's permission will be considered to be on the goal line or touch line for the purposes of offside until the next stoppage in play or until the defending team has played the ball towards the halfway line and it's outside the penalty area. So when Walker slides off the field there... To damage our property, no less. (laughs) Essentially, from the moment he does that, none of our players can be offside unless they're ahead of the goalkeeper, obviously, and then there's only one player between them and goal. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, McBurney... Even if he was interfering with play, even if a referee would have said, yeah, he, he definitely you know interfered with um, Edison's ability to save that game, he could not be offside because Kyle Walker had very generously left and remained off the field of play to, um, as you say, attack the uh, advertising hoarding. So a nice, a nice double assist from our Kyle Walker there. What a guy. What a legend. Once a blade, always a blade. Yeah, absolutely. Um, back, back to the... Harland goal, so rewinding again. The uh the first goal of the game. Yeah, no no blame from me on um Robinson. And I think this is just the one time that Grealish got the better of Baldock. Uh that was a fascinating contest as I expected it to be. I thought Baldock had a superb game considering he was just coming off this uh cramp injury that kept him out of the forest game. Um but that time Grealish just got him. I think he 
I think Grealish is always trying to get on his right foot, but this time he just went on his left and stood up a perfect cross. I, I think it's just one of those you have to hold your, your hands up, not to, not in a John Egan way. Just um, yeah, it was it was a a great bit of play by Grealish. Uh, yeah, I thought Baldock had a really really good game against him though. That's obviously about the most difficult opponent you could go up against in the Premier League. I think. What do you, what do you reckon to yeah. Baldock's game? I mean, I've I've always loved. Uh, George Bordock, and I thought you're right. Yeah, it was just that one moment, wasn't it? And uh, very little he could really have done. I mean, you feel like he's going to get his leg there. He's going to get his leg. He's going to block it. And mm. Grealish just knows exactly where to put that ball. Uh, it was just, I don't put blame on those kind of goals. Almost mm. every other cross this season, I could point blame. Uh, that one, I, I tend I tend not to. And uh, think that it's great to have George back. And uh, long, long may that continue, because I don't like any rumours circling about her. Uh, <laughs> George leaving I can't handle that no and I really did not like when I saw him grab his knee against Palace either so I was mm. absolutely over the moon to see him start in this game um we did sub him off didn't we let me just check the timeline on because you don't want to get injured as a Sheffield United player it seems like if you it's, do it's pick a up idea. a fairly innocuous injury you're looking at a year at least yeah Indeed. Uh, <laughs> he came off in the 71st minute. He was also booked at that point as well, which I think I think he just got sick of Grealish's nonsense. <laughs> it's just like, no, I'm, I'm going to get my one hard foul in on you, Grealish. Yeah. So he, he took a yellow in the first half, kind of out of nothing. But yeah, I mean, there, is, there are several facts you, know, you can always rely on. Uh, Baldock won't get sent off. Mm-hmm. And Sheffield United tend not to get hammered. You know, the, the last time we got hammered, I think was the game just after... Wilder had resigned at uh, Leicester, Leicester, I want to say. That was the yeah. last time we got actually like destroyed. In terms of the scoreline, yeah. Yeah, I think you could probably say Coventry last se- two seasons ago, was it? Oh, when we, when we had like a scratch side out because everyone was injured. Um, I was at that one where Berger scored first. Yeah, that's it, yeah. They were at least 4-1, I think. That was the game where I decided to make a vlog just for you. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, I do actually. Yeah, how weird. And I, and I've been talking to you. Maybe you've been on. The yeah, I'd messaged you and I said like, you know, what do you what do you like on YouTube? And, and you'd said I you quite like vlogs. I was like, right, I'm make I'm making a vlog. And then I messaged you afterwards. And you went, oh, I don't watch them when we lose. <laughs> I did watch that one though. Just, Thank yeah, you. The, the effort you. that you put in, even though Bless. it was a, a painful game, obviously. I hated that. <laughs> Understandable. I've, I don't think I've. I don't think I've ever had a good time. Uh, well, in the city of Coventry, full stop. Actually, oh no, wait, I went. I went to a Ramstein gig there a few years ago. That was good, but um, certainly, uh, certainly, watching football games in Coventry has, has never ended particularly well for me. Um, jumping once again back to the winning goal and Yasser Larouche and his error, uh, and I want to tie in our weekly injury here. It's, it's Ben Osborne's turn. So we've we've had three games, and uh, yet yeah, we we lost Baldock after that first one. We lost uh, Slimani in time for the second one, although it sounds like he will be back in training mm. uh, right now. And about 20 minutes into this one, we lose Ben Osborne, who's starting his third um, his third different position in three games. And I've seen I've seen a few people say, you know, oh, what a, an embarrassment giving, you know, a, a, such a bad decision giving Ben Osborne a new contract because he's, I believe, torn a groin muscle or a calf muscle or something, which is going to keep him out for a while. But I would say the fact that Osborne has started three different positions in three games is exactly why you give him a new contract because he can do that and he can do it pretty well. I thought he started this game quite well. Um, but yeah, uh, he is our weekly injury. Sounds like a bad one. Obviously, he's not a key player, but he, by the same token, he started all three games so far in, in different positions. So he's a 
It would have been a useful one to stay fit, but um, not to be, unfortunately. Gutted. Because you say he's not a key player. People that regularly watch Sheffield United Way will know, for Hal Stewart, Ben Osborne is a key player. Hmm. And uh, he's my preferred option at left wing back. So hmm. I, I, I am gutted about this one. And I thought it was right to give him a new contract. I didn't necessarily think Fleck was the right call. Uh, not Nothing to do with me. That's not revisionism. That's not to do with him getting injured against Girona. That is the fact that I didn't think he'd see enough meaningful minutes. Mm. You know, We've signed a lot of players, and most of them feel like they've been midfielders. I think it's going to take, and it's not beyond the realms of Sheffield United possibility, it's going to take a lot of injuries, and then for him to come back fully fit, for him to get meaningful, regular first-team minutes this season. So he will purely be a backup body, but I'd maybe rather have seen us keep a youngster back rather than send one out on loan uh, for exactly that role because I think that would have been much more cost effective and then you could have put that that wage towards maybe an additional player that we're now going to need because you know we now need to bring in a left wing back well this is where I was going with this um I, I guess just to uh to, to get there in a, a roundabout way I, I wonder if Fleck, Fleck probably doesn't make the 25 man squad now would be my guess but in, in particular if we've if we've got the option to bring in a couple of players on loan for example um because yeah, you can re-register him in January if you really want to, but um, my guess is he doesn't get registered because we would prefer to keep that. Oh, we'd prefer to sign another player who can actually contribute straight away. You could probably do the same with Osborne now. If that's a tear, that might have him out for the next three months, and then you're into uh, so the next four months, and then you're into January. So you could maybe bring him back then. Left wing back. So this is what I was going to ask because I've seen a few people say this as well, um, including. Uh, my regular co-host, uh, and I'm, I'm actually in opposition to him on this one, that United should be signing another left wing back in the next few days. Where, where do you stand on that? No, I don't think we should. I mean, we brought in a lot of players. And, you know, were we ready for this Premier League season or not? You know, what was the planning? We've got a lot of left-footed players at this club, and it feels like more than any other team in the world. Uh, we've got youngsters. If they're not good enough, why are they still being kept around? Get them out on loan. Uh, and if they are good enough, give them an opportunity. We've also brought in Austin Trusty, who has played in that position. Now, he is a centre-back. I'm aware of that. But he has played there. He can play there. Okay. So if, if he can't play there, then fine. If you think you've seen him in training, Hecky, and you don't think that Trusty's going to work as a left wing back, fine. I get that. Maybe he is much now more of a straightforward centre-back. But he has played there. You only need to look on transfer marks to see how many games he's played there as well. So he, he can do that. Jack Robinson has played left back before, certainly. Now, I wouldn't necessarily want to put him there, but we're at that stage where we've got to think of alternatives, got to think of other options. In the youth team, although he doesn't play there anymore, uh, Andre Brooks has played there. Mm. We've got Bayabu. Um, there are options, and you can shuffle things around. You can also play Bogle or Baldock there, as we have in the past. And that means you find a way of getting those two in the first 11, which has been a head-scratcher since we signed Bogle. Yeah. I um, I, I don't want us to sign another left-wing back because I think uh, you know, rumours of LaRouche's demise are sort of greatly exaggerated, if you like. Um, I, I, I'd rather just see what we have with him, you know? I mean, so this is where I was, why I wanted to bring up the Osborne injury. There's no way we expected to use Larouche for what, like seventy minutes in this game. Like, obviously, mm. started the game on the bench. When did he? Uh, when did Osborne come off? Any idea? Seventeen, I think. Seventeen oh. minutes. So he played. I mean, essentially, played eighty minutes there. Um, yeah, Larouche because played. of the added time. Exactly, By the way, yeah. are we saying Larouche officially, or do you think it is Larouche? I think it's Larouche. I, I remember looking it up. So that's what I'm going with. 
As in, because I, I had to actually ask a former player who played with Gustavo Hamer how to say his name, and I'd said Hamer on the the first video I did about him and got rinsed for it because I'd watched commentary and that's how it was said and yeah. you know by all the commentators, and then I asked a player who, who played with him and. Uh, he said that they all call him Hamer. So, and then, and then he said it himself when we signed it. He, he probably knows how to say his own name. And I'd like to hear Yasser say his own surname. Okay, there's there's, there's multiple things here I, I need to cover. Hang on. <laughs> Let's start with Harmer Hamer while I've got it in my head. Um, there was a tweet from, uh, where was this? Adam Oxley. Did you see this on Saturday? I didn't, I must admit. Right. Well, I, I was already, uh, I'd already had several points by this point. And, and I've got to say, this, this didn't clear it up for me, but I wasn't going to get into a debate. Um, it, it didn't tweet at us. It was a general, a general tweet. Adam Oxley, I've double checked via Sheffield United media staff from the man himself and the pronunciation given is Gustavo Harmer. So the way that you said it, I'm told, this is Adam Oxley as well, I'm told Gus said, quote, Hamer with a Y in the signing video as that's how most people have referred to him in this country. So if I'm reading this right, hmm. it's Harmer, but he called himself Hamer out of politeness because that's what everybody else calls him. That's like um, Joe Ellington. Joe Ellington. Because <laughs> he says himself it's Joe Ellington, but everyone in Newcastle is calling him Jolinton, so yeah. he's just kind of gone with that. It's genus genus all over again. Ah, oh, this is a nightmare. Or, bur- or burger, bear gay. And, uh, or, or burge. Or, or bur- burge, yeah. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to stick with Hamer for now, and my defence is that's what he said with his own voice in the signing video, <laughs> and also that's kind of what I've stuck with. Just Well, wait till he system. signs for Burnley. He'll do an amusing <laughs> video, which will end with him saying... It's Harmer, and we'll all look <laughs> foolish. And I think we sum up Sander Berger's time with Sheffield United and the fact that we never all agreed how to say his surname. <laughs> that is quite quite the epitaph on um, on Berger's time here, isn't it? Um, but I'm going with Larouche, uh, and yeah, I, I'd, I'd I'd rather just you know I'd rather just suck up the fact that we've got injuries at this position. I, I don't. We have a limited budget. There is, I don't know, what is it, three days left for the, mm. for the transfer deadline? Like, are we really going to. I mean, look, if you can scramble and grab a, a semi competent left wing back in the next three days, with the, with the understanding that they're not going to be an automatic starter and probably will be like fourth choice if everyone's back fit, then fine, go ahead and do it. But to me, don't be wasting time doing that when there's other positions that we have mm. more pressing need for. Yeah, um, I was I was kind of talking uh, on the understanding that if Larusi got injured again, you know, what, what on earth do we do? Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, I didn't mention Max Lowe needs surgery because he's trod on a sprinkler, as you alluded to. Yep, um, that's that's not great uh, from his point of view, obviously, and from the point of view of having multiple left wing backs, we've no idea on Reece Norrington Davis. Uh, I'm... What's Keen Bryan up to? That's all I want to know. <laughs> that's a good question. He was he was released by West Brom, I believe. I actually got a message from a pal of mine who said he's been training with uh, Brackley Town. Scorer of a goal in a win at Old Trafford in the Premier League, Kean Bryan. Well, we, we, you know, uh, no, no negative feelings towards him. I hope he, uh, you know, continues to have a good, a good footballing career, but possibly not with Sheffield United. I, I was possibly watching, not. watching Ethan Ampadu yesterday for uh, Leeds against Salford. He, he took what I would say is the worst penalty in a shootout that I've ever seen actually go in the net. So <laughs> it was. 
It was uh, low, <laughs> slow, and close to the goalkeeper, but somehow managed to get into the net. Anyway. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so Osborne's out for a significant period. You know, doesn't get injured, Touchwood. Ollie Norwood. Why set... would you say that? <laughs> <laughs> set a new club record for Premier League appearances in this one. So it just, you know, it just kind of. Uh... It just underlines to me, you know, Norwood hasn't been like amazing through these three games, but just the fact that he's this is his third Premier League season with us, you know, he's he's basically been an automatic starter through every one of those seasons, through you know, through good, bad, and mediocre. And yeah, I, I respect it. I respect that he's he's always available in terms of you know, he's always fit to play and like up, up to form, and he never hides. I think we said last season, you know, it's. It sort of felt like he was the captain of the side in that first half of last season. Um, yeah, just want to tip of the hat to Norwood, you know. I still feel like he's quite an unsung hero. And who knows, maybe if we bring in another midfielder, he might not even get in our best team this season. But right now, he's, uh, he's there when we need him. So uh, 73 yeah. appearances, that is, taking over mm-hmm. from 72 that Carl uh, Bradshaw had. And I think Vinny Souza was signed to replace Norwood. That was my guess. And, of course, Sander would have played alongside him. So Norwood's mm. probably getting game time and meaningful minutes that wasn't necessarily expected and good for him. Grab the ball with both horns and, and try and stay in the side, Ollie. Yeah. No, I, th- I think you're spot on. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed what I saw of Sousa. That's, I didn't get to see any of the Forest games. So that's uh, barring sort of 10, 10 minutes of nothingness against Palace. That's the first time I've seen him. Uh, and Hamer as well, I was I was impressed with considering we didn't see much of the ball at all. I thought he was very, uh, it's quite adventurous with it, I suppose. You know, he, he wasn't trying to be safe. He was trying to spring a counter-attack. And also, I've got well, to say, the, sorry, we about to say it, If you watch my uh, <clears throat> Chef United Way signing video for Gustavo, as I call him during that, Harmer, uh, <laughs> one thing I say is that he is a brave passer mm. of the ball and doesn't like going backwards or sideways. And that is why his stat line isn't actually that good for successful pass completion because he takes the riskier option. And I like Indeed. that about him. That's why the eye test is always my favourite over just looking at figures on the internet. Mm. Well, he's... Uh, I, I can't remember. I might have tweeted this myself, actually, but... Yeah, his, his progressive pass number. So that's, I think it's, it moves the ball like 20 yards up the pitch, basically, and not from your own defensive third. They were like the best in the championship last season. So yeah, he's a, he takes risks and I, I like seeing him do that in this game. And I, I've got to also say that the work rate from him, he, he does look a real athlete. And I, I, I feel like that's something that uh, I don't want to take for granted because I feel like we've had some quite unathletic teams in the last couple. You know, like Berger doesn't seem, it, it wasn't, mm. Not to, you know, crap on Berger, I suppose, now that he's not here. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't class him as particularly athletic, for example. Certainly wouldn't do that with Fleck or even even Norwood, for example. Whereas, yeah, Hamer really was bombing on right to the death, I thought. So, yeah, excited excited by him. Um, another player I'm excited by, and the first time I've seen him this season, Ollie McBurney. The difference in having a real striker on the pitch for United, with with respect to Benny Traore, who I I thought was good in this game, um, but also is playing at this level for the first time. I just thought the difference in having yeah a real striker out there was so astonishingly stark. What what did you think of his cameo? That was great, wasn't it? It, it reminded us of what what we've missed, and uh, very very exciting. 
uh, to see him back because it gives us another option and it's one that we've needed and we were actually crying out in that game for someone to just give the ball to the, where it would stick because Triori is mm. a very different player and he's got that tremendous ability to just well as we've seen just kill a ball dead from a great height that was class, yeah. it was class a wonderful technique I don't know how long it'll take for him to get used to the Premier League the physicality because I think he's got the pace down in Sweden, I think maybe when he was one-on-one with the keepers, he'd have found that he could hit it fairly close to them and it would go in. I've been watching quite a bit of Swedish football. Don't ask me why. It's for a separate project. And the, the standard of goalkeeping has been truly dreadful. Mm. Um, and we've seen a Swedish goalkeeper in the past. We'll leave that there. <laughs> uh, so he may take a little time to get used to what he actually has to do to regularly score goals in the Premier League. But I like the look of Triori, and I think it's just going to complement him so well, having a player like McBurney to feed off, because Asula, as great as he's looked, I thought it was one of his harder games, oh, to God, see, which it was yeah. always going to be. It's an impo- I feel so sorry. He's, I, I mean this with total respect to him. He's miles from Premier League level, like starting at Premier League level. He, there's no way he should be playing in the Premier League right now. Like He's still a kid, you know, he's... He could barely get in Derby's team last season on loan, um, and I think it'd be not. I would quite like to keep him around as like a bench player, you know, coming on in with like ten minutes to go and stuff. And and I think that's possibly where Triore should be being used in these first few weeks, you know, while he gets up to speed of the uh, the English game and the top flight, if you like. And I think Heckingbottom alluded to that um, possibly against Forest actually when he said, you know. We, ideally, we want Triore and Asula coming on towards the end, not having to bang out ninety mm. minutes after ninety minutes. And because um, well, they are both the same age, yeah, they are both twenty years old, aren't they? Yeah, Triore's obviously just uh, played a lot more men's football, just um, mm. not in this country. But yeah, I, I thought really good from McBurney. Um, you know, but almost almost a game changing substitution. I think he won sort of one header, and then Man City were like, "Oh, we're not going to, you know, we're going to stand off and pick up the." You know, pick up the flick on if you like. And McBurney just so went, that's fine by me. I'm going to bring this down and I'm going to run at you. I thought that was just just tremendous. He obviously he, he got free from a corner, which was quite a difficult header in the end. I, I thought he should have done a lot better in real time. But when I've seen it back, would have been a hell of a header to actually get it on yeah. target. And then obviously the um, the chance that he creates after City had retaken the lead for uh, for Ahmed Ozic with a, a beautiful cross. Unfortunately, he couldn't get it on the end of uh, on the end of his own ball. Would have been nice, but. Yeah, I, I just thought, please be fit, because I think having him and having our new signing, Cameron Archer, we'll talk about uh, quickly in a second, that has some potential, I think, to be quite an exciting partnership. Um, anything anything we missed from the Man City game itself? I'm conscious we've managed to talk for almost an hour there, actually, about it. Which I, 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 would, I wouldn't dare bring anything else into the uh, <laughs> conversation about City, because we've, we've spoken for longer than the first half of that game. <laughs> well, I've enjoyed it. Um <laughs> Cameron Archer was unveiled before uh, before kickoff in this one. We got there in the end. It was a bit frustrating. <laughs> not a, not a player that probably would have you know moved our chances of beating Man City particularly, but it would have been nice to have him available so you know we could get some get a run out or something. But he is here now. He'll be eligible to play uh, tonight against Lincoln and obviously against Everton as well. Quite a weird deal this one with the buybacks and stuff. Oh, it's a, it, it's, can I just say? I think this is a terrible deal for us. Okay, well, this is good because I was going to say this doesn't really seem to have a downside for us as far <laughs> as I can see. Please elaborate. I just I don't know the ins and outs. I mean, none of us know the exact contract details. I just don't like this. I think that they should get rid of I've heard some rumours they are going to get rid of these buyback. I uh, think 
I think there's going to be some uh, loophole closing You've got in the to. next year or so, yeah. You've got to, because this is effectively, uh, like you sometimes see in American sport, this is like an expensive loan hmm. if, if we go down. And, and if we don't go down, then there'll be other clauses, won't there? Like the buyback will probably increase maybe one season, increase another season, and maybe depending on how many goals he scores, it increase another. But the, Villa have still got us over a barrel. Like if we, if Cameron Archer is a success and does well for Sheffield United, we have we're going to be great. But we've got this worry hanging over us the whole time of his parent club. And I remember thinking that with Rian Brewster as well with Liverpool. I think we could probably say that that isn't going to happen. Possibly not. Fairly safe. And actually, their goal-scoring record in the Championship is almost mirrored um, in terms of the last season that they played in the Championship uh, mm. for the clubs before they signed for Sheffield United. you got uh, 20 appearances, 10 goals for Swansea, for Rian, 22 appearances, 11 goals for Cameron with Middlesbrough. And again, neither of them had proven themselves in the Premier League. So again, we forked out a lot of money. And again, we've done it with a buyback clause. Um, I don't like it. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up Brewster. I'll... Um... Uh, uh, and that comparison in particular, I'll get on to that in a second. I just want to wrap up the the deal for anyone who's. So I mean, this isn't like officially confirmed anywhere, is it? You know, it's not like United and Villa have come out and said this. But what it? No, no. We've what, read all this. I've probably read this the same as you. It's all just sort of whispers and rumor and conjecture on social media, and it might all be nonsense. Indeed, but it's sort of, as you said, amounts to a loan where we have we have paid around eighteen million to sign Cameron Archer permanently. If this is where it gets loopholey, going to get closed, mm. I think. If United get relegated, it sounds like Villa are obliged to buy him back for the same amount of money. So we'd get our money back, essentially. And if we... St- uh, am I saying this right? About this? Well, it's, I haven't when, heard when the I, word I obliged like... uh, there used before. But like I said, I don't... I, genuinely, I'm not trying to be like uh, getting myself out of any trouble. I genuinely don't know Fair the... Enough the ins and outs on this one and I've only read little bits and actually everything I read got me so annoyed I stopped, I stopped reading it so, uh, so you, you'll probably know a lot more than me so this is what I've read anyway that if we get relegated Villa by we get our money back he goes back to Villa permanent transfer back to Villa we get our money back which seems okay you know I mean they, they, I suppose if he has a really good season and we get relegated anyway maybe we feel 18 million is actually we're being shortchanged but ultimately as a relegated club you sort of lose a bit of negotiating position anyway so I don't see that as a a particular downside. If we stay up, he re- he stays as our player, apart from Villa have this option to buy him back for however many million, which will obviously be higher than the 18 million that we've paid for him. So there's, you know, there's that opportunity. Maybe I'll just pluck a number out the air. Say it's 25 million. Maybe Villa will think like, actually, you know, we'll take the 7 million loss on, on getting our own player back. Um, we, we feel that's worthwhile. And we, United, think, God, we... You know, he's just scored 10, 12 goals for us. Like, I'm sure we could have got more than 25 million for him if it was a, you know, an open market, if you like. But overall, mm. for a team that doesn't have a massive amount of cash, which is us, it seems all right to Yet. me. Yet, well, I suppose not. Um, yeah, it, it seems like a good deal to me. Um, so talking about him, like in in line with Brewster, I, yeah, it, it was only that half a season, but I think, unlike Brewster, he he has also played at that level before Archer with Preston. And it wasn't in front of empty stadiums. I, I don't know how much this is worth, but Brewster's, you know, on fire half season at Swansea was largely in empty grounds with a a weird situation of like, you know, some some teams will have just been sort of playing out the string there so that they, you know, fulfilling the fixture obligation, if you like, to get on, you know, in, a, in an uncertain time. Um, he also, Archer, hasn't had a bad injury yet. <laughs> Welcome Sheffield United. 
but hopefully um hopefully he won't suffer any that's uh, you need to stop effective. saying words <laughs> <laughs> i say too many words to worry about second guessing myself i think so um fair enough yeah, but it was it was a phenomenon the championship last season. Is it, do you want to just, just talk briefly about uh, you know in summary what what kind of a, a striker he was for for Borough last oh, season? Like I'd have these stats to hand. Um, <laughs> I mean, he played a total of one thousand five hundred and fifty-one minutes, zero point six four goals per ninety, scored a goal every one hundred and forty-one minutes. Was it that kind of thing you were looking for? Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty handy. Yeah, and his. Uh... <laughs> I mean, one of the the other thing that jumps out at me is is more than just a finisher, and is is assist and expected mm. assist numbers last season were off the charts in the half season that he six played. assists in total, yeah, seventeen mm. goal contributions, but also really important to mention that he had Akpom, who is an assist machine, mm. and who would drop deeper, very much like Ilaman and Dai. And I think if Paul Heckingbottom had had a choice of the two, and both of them were the same financial deal, he probably would have gone for Akpom. I'm just guessing, but I think Akpom was was more similar to Illiman. No player is the same as Illiman. He is unique. But Archer was is more of a ball over the top, ball in behind, pace finisher. And I think Akpom was more of a creator. So he had that next to him. And between the two of them, they found that synergy. And I think it worked superbly. He's going to need a player like that at Sheffield United to create for him. But I've seen a lot of clips of Archer being unselfish, which is what you're alluding to and setting up teammates. And that's exciting as well. Yeah. I think I think with him and Hamer, we've probably offset the creativity loss of Njai going. Um, obviously, we've had to sign two players to do that. But I think with those two, I'm hopeful now that we can score like, I don't know, 30 to 40 goals, which I, I mean, God damn, I didn't see us scoring 30 <laughs> goals after that Crystal Palace game. Uh, if we I, score 30 goals this season, we will go down. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I might enjoy myself during you yeah. know, during the journey. Whereas after that Palace game, I was, you know, not to, uh, and I didn't think this was particularly knee-jerk. I was thinking, how do we get to the 20 goals we got in our last season in the Premier League? Like, this team isn't going to score 20 goals. And, yeah, as I sit here now, we've scored two goals more than I, I thought we would do by this stage. So that is that is progress. But, um, yeah, it, it gives us a shot. I think, you know, the, him and Hamer particularly, I think, will mean we're, if not going to stay up, then it should be more enjoyable to watch uh, from a fan point of view than it would have been. So, yeah, yeah. Good, I, think, I think good signing. I'm, I'm excited to see him. It's a shame it... You know, took a while, but at least he is here for the Everton game, which is ooh a big one. The no points derby. How do you uh, how do you see this one? Well, I was just doing maths in my head about what I actually said about if we score thirty goals, we will go down. I was just thinking actually we probably could stay up. On we probably could. Goals. We I mean we stayed up with I think we scored thirty nine this season. We did, we but we also nine. conceded thirty nine that season. Mm-hmm. And we're on pace to concede more than that. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, Everton, you know, fascinating. It's the biggest game of the season, without a doubt. I mean, before, because of all the nonsense in pre-season, really, Palace and Forest were huge games. And if you're looking at the start of the season on paper of where you're going to pick your points up, Palace at home is a game you've got to pick at least a point up from. So now Everton becomes, well, enormous. I think if we lose this game against Everton, it'll be such a deflating one for everyone around beautiful downtown Bramall Lane. But equally, I think if we beat Everton and put on a good show, and I think we can... It'll be a huge lift, a huge fill-up, because they look quite poor. However, if you go through their team, kind of player for player, it's quite star-studded. There isn't 
there isn't any part of that team. Look at the defence. There's, there's good players there. They've got one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League. They've got a very, very strong midfield of players that I would like Sheffield United to have. The issue they probably have is similar to us, scoring goals. So if you were a neutral, you'd look at this game and say it's got nil-nil written all over it. They're also only playing one up front. And against uh, Fulham, they were very good created a lot, couldn't score against Wolves. Very similar story. But away from home in that one game I've seen them, they didn't create that much. So it'll be interesting to see how they approach this game. And Ashley Young, by the way, playing at left-back is, is from watching him like we did as the most creative attacking player at Watford those many years ago, it's amazing to see how you can reinvent yourself as a footballer as the years tick on. It is, but at the same time, Get at him, Blades, next Saturday. That's <laughs> got to be a weak link at the back, I think. Um, no, you spot on if we, uh, if we lose this game. Uh, we've got Spurs away next. Oh. They've also made a hot start. We've got Newcastle at home. They're you know, genuine top four contender again. We've got West Ham away. I believe they're currently at the top of the league or near the top of the league. And obviously had a great start. And then you got Fulham away in October. And that's probably the point where you're thinking... Maybe this can be our first win of the season. You know, because yeah, so... we're, we're a lot better than that team that you were talking about. That you know got to twenty goal. I feel like we're a lot better than that team. You know, and and this is could be a, a worse start. I'm very worried about that. Mm. I feel yeah. I feel we probably are better than that team. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's it's just a lot of it's on paper at the moment. I'll I'll need to see it over over True. A, bit, a bit longer period of time, I suppose. Um, curiously. Uh, Everton have faced the third lowest amount of shots so far this season. Only Man City and Arsenal have uh, had had fewer shots taken against them, um, which is it's, it's quite upsetting in a game that we need to win. When I was mm. like, oh, they're terrible, we'll be able to just steamroll them. But no, teams aren't getting shots against them. The only silver lining is that the few ha- chances they have given up have been quite high quality, so they have the third highest expected goals per shot in the league so far. Um United, uh, I don't like this. Only Luton and Burnley have taken fewer shots than United and they've obviously played a game less. And we've also faced the most shots in the league so far. We're conceding 23 shots per game. And whilst 30 of that was Man City, I think it was 30 on Saturday, Forest and Palace are not the best two attacking teams. So I know we're still putting out a bit of a scratch side at the moment, but we've got to tighten up there. We can't let Everton come and take 23 shots against us this weekend. If that happens, I'm really worried about the rest of the season. You just you just can't get away with that. I think Wes has been fantastic, and we haven't mentioned him really yet, but he made some stunning saves, uh, particularly from Haaland in this game. Um, but you can't rely on him to be the greatest goalkeeper in the world. Like It's just not a recipe for success. So... Yeah, we we've got to tighten up these, uh, tighten up defensively and, and midfield, and hopefully, you know, once we get a settled team, once Souza's you know banging out the ninety minutes, mm. that'll sort of bring down the amount of shots we're facing. But yeah, t- too many shots so far. I, I um, just going back to what you were saying, I, I think, um, I think we are probably in a mentally better position than Everton. I would imagine you'd find you'd, you'd find it easier to find a confident United fan than an Everton fan. Um, your, your mileage may vary on that, I suppose, but yeah, they, they're not um, they're not a down and out team by any means. Although they, they actually, as you said, have have had a quite a decent start to the season for a team that has zero points and lost four one away. I think it was in their last game. So uh, yeah, what, where's your confidence level at in this one? Well, your stats that you shared with me about uh, Everton says everything about a Sean Dyche side. Mm, that's, true. That's, that's what they're known for. Dyche sides were always hard to break down. 
but they've never been renowned for scoring loads of goals. So all of that, it's very much the old school George Graham approach. However, it's not really working with not being able to keep the ball out of the back of the net. But third lowest amount of shots against them rings true of the way Sean Dyche would approach things. My neighbour is an Everton fan and he is convinced they are going down. In fact, has like you, like you were saying about you know mentally where they are, he has no hope for this season. And I think United fans, we have hope because we've always been that way and it's the hope that kills you. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, well, I hope that we go into this one, um, you know, not, not expecting to roll over Everton because I, I still think this is going to be a really difficult game but obviously a win would be absolutely superb and really really lift the spirits they've um they have just spent 30 million on a striker Everton yesterday I think Beto Beto yeah from Udinese who I know nothing about uh, but it says here he's a six foot four inch striker who scored 10 goals for Udinese last season so um yeah if, if Calvert-Lewin's not getting it done then either he will be starting alongside him or instead of him but yeah, that's uh, you know not ideal for them to bring in a new striker just for the players in the biggest game of the season so far. But that's mm. the Premier League for you, isn't it? Uh, quick, quick thoughts on the transfer window. Any uh, any priority areas that you'd, you'd? I won't ask you to throw any names out or anything like that. But any uh, yeah, <laughs> any <laughs> any areas you're particularly desperate for us to uh, you know maybe use one of these loans for in the next couple of days? Well, it's it's more about the how many spaces we've got left in the squad who are we going to register who are we going to kick out because that's crucial people keep saying oh you use all these foreign loans well, we can't because there isn't enough space left in the squad unless you don't register all of our players you know <laughs> and that that's going to get hard because we've actually got a fairly sizable squad although it doesn't feel like that because you, you know we've not seen so many of these players for so long like reese norrington davis and rian brewster and you think well when are they coming back Daniel Jebison, how long is he going to be out? John Fleck, how long is he going to be out? Mm. Ben Osborne, Max Lowe. These are still professional players. And if they are going to feature at some point this season, then will they need to be registered at some point? And if they do, then you can't do a season-long loan for a player because it'll come to January and these players will be fit again and you'll, you'll have to register them. So it, it does come down to numbers as well as what positions we need. I personally would love to have seen us bring in some real quality competition for Wes. Uh, that isn't going to happen, I don't think. Uh, so then it's creativity because, like you've just alluded to, you know, we face a lot of shots, but we're also not creating anything. It's a terrible mix. So we we need creativity, and I think we've. I know you're saying we're going to have that now with uh, with with Hamer, but there will be games where he's maybe not as you know, like I think actually against City, he wasn't as good as he was against Forest. He was much more involved. So there'll be games where we drift in and out, and we'll need someone else. I'd like to see a number ten. Someone who I've alluded to there when I said Cameron will need that supply. I still think he does. I think Hamer will do more of the box-to-box, and I want someone to stay further up there with Cameron Archer. And even if he's not going to start every game, there'll be there'll be matches where defences tire, certainly defences like Everton's, where they've got the slightly older back line. If you can throw a pacey, creative player on that's going to do also a little bit of that dirty work, that for me is the most crucial area. And I know we, we said we're not going to make mention names, but... Man City have been thrown into the mix, haven't they, with with potential players we could loan from there. Cole Palmer, James McAtee, either of those would do me down to the ground. Yep. No. Uh, yeah. Completely agree on uh, on all fronts. I, I, th- I just think with the you know the numbers game, if you like, with the with the uh, you know the amount of players you can register. I just think I think we have to take a short term view on it because you know if you're saying. 
So I would I would look at this as like uh, take Norrington Davis for example. We don't know what the situation is there, but let's say internally we don't think he's going to be ready to be playing every week until late December or something like that. That to me is an instant. Don't waste the squad registration spot on him. You know, if, if there's another player that can come in instead, I think that's what it has to come down to. Is but then do you loan a player until January? Because the club that you're loaning it from will probably only loan if your deal is are you going to play this player? Because otherwise uh, we'll just yeah. keep them here in our reserve team. Well, you don't tell them that you only intend to use them until now. Now what you do is you take, take them on a season-long loan, and then in January, you know, we we might have someone else who's out injured for a long time that they then get deregistered from the squad and that player stays in and Norton Davis comes back in. I just think we need to prioritize now and not the rest of the season if you like. You know, we need to we need to ensure the season is live going into January. And so I I would prioritize having players that can contribute right now. So if you're telling me the choice and you're obviously not telling me this, but I'm just, just putting it out there. If the choice is um <clears throat> you know have a have a midfielder who can play now or have uh, Fleck who can play in three months or something like that, I would say, sorry, John, but you're um, you're not in the squad for the next three months or whatever it is until January. And uh, Mr. Loney is getting your spot instead. But mm. we'll see. That seems like the pragmatic thing to do for me. Is anyone when, else um... picturing this like a smoky scene from Moneyball? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're going late into the night. We've ordered takeaway. The whiteboard is full of all our notes. Because it, it, it it's going to come down to things like you still got to pay all these players' wages. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're talking about things that we don't, we don't have all the the, the the details, do we? Because we don't know how much we've promised to certain players or if we've promised that they'll be registered in the squad as part of their contract. I mean, it's it's so it's so tricky when you're dealing with a, a squad that has a finite amount of players that you can register. If it was a, a squad that could have an, any amount of players you like, then it's a totally different conversation. Also, the youngsters under 21 don't have to be registered, I believe. So that, As that long was, as they're, uh, quote, homegrown. So. Indeed. Yeah, they've been played for a club in this country or for ourselves, obviously. Um, the equation. Say again, sorry. That could come into the equation when looking at you know who we register and who we leave out. Yeah, indeed. So I think like McAtee, for example, uh, who I believe is twenty years old. So I, mm. I don't, I don't, don't quote me on this. I'm just uh... get McAtee back at tea because because <laughs> that works. So I'm pretty sure he. I, I almost don't know where to say this because I sound like an idiot, but um, I'm pretty sure he would not need to be registered as part of the 25-man squad because he is a homegrown player in this country and he is under the age of 21. The problem is I don't play football manager anymore, and if I did, I would know the answer to this. Yeah, I would as well. I mean, there's all this stuff with cut-off points as well of like what what you know what counts as under 21. You know, is it mm-hmm. is after a certain date basically? It's not literally are they 21 years old and. You know, what point does that cut off? So anyway, this is boring. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for rambling on. Uh, quick quick thing just to finish off. Billy Sharp, debut goal for LA Galaxy. Things you love to see. Yeah, I got up specially to watch this game. I did was, you really? Yeah, I did. Oh, I'm, I'm a stupid blade and I've wasted my life. But seeing him get brought on wearing Sheffield United shin pads, which you could see through the white yes, socks. so good. And then having a great chance and then scoring a penalty. I was waking up my family, messaging my sister, messaging my mum, sending my nephews 
clips I was filming. I was, it was like I'm related to him. I've never met the guy. I was just <laughs> so proud, proud as punch for one of our own. I wanted him to hit the ground running. I personally love the MLS. I've been over to America loads of times to watch. All oh, right. Watch it. I really enjoy it. I had to pal who went out and played there, and uh, just just great. So uh, happy for him. I think the standard is higher than a lot of people give it credit for, and I, I hope LA Galaxy can make the playoffs because that's looking pretty unlikely. Yeah, they, they're still in the hunt, aren't they? They're, I mean, they're in the hunt on the fringes, but they they need to win a lot of games. Um, we should say, of course, our our good buddy Noah was uh, was in attendance. He's a LA Galaxy fan, obviously from. Red Half is Sheffield podcast and uh, watch alongs on Sheffield United Way. Just do some other other content for Sheffield United Way as well. Is it mainly just the watch alongs? Just the watch alongs, but they are doing their own YouTube channel, Red Half of Sheffield. If you want to check it out, they do brilliant previews. The great thing about their previews is they're so early, I can steal all the stuff they say. <laughs> um, he is a LA Galaxy fan as well as a Blade, and I, I think it. I think it made his day being in attendance for this one. Uh, he obviously shared a video and some photos on uh, on his Twitter as well. Uh, and Sharp came up to him afterwards, and, and had a, I think he shook his hand and had a, a quick chat with the other blades that were that were with Noah. So um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. It was, it was it was really. I didn't watch this game. Uh, I didn't get up to see this, but um, you know, I have small children, so I was awake fairly early, and it was it was very nice to wake up to and uh, and see these messages come through from from Noah and see I guess Blade's Twitter waking up to the fact that Sharp had scored on his debut so well done Billy go and uh, go and absolutely smash it the rest of the way right Hal um I've taken up so much of your time I do apologize I I, I did not intend to do this but I've I've very very much enjoyed catching up with you and appreciate all your thoughts on Man City and everything else with the Blades um before we wrap up, is there anything in particular you would like to plug for Sheffield United Way or anything else in particular? Well, I mean, you know, the amount of stuff I do for Sheffield United Way, it's very much like a glamorous unpaid job, uh, which takes up more time than my actual job. So uh, <laughs> if you would like to support it, we're not bad guys, despite what the internet says. And there's uh, content out on there every single day so even if you just watch it for five seconds it counts as a view thanks <laughs> tick <laughs> love it um yeah i think that's it mate well uh are you, are you planning any trips back to the yes. uk anytime soon yeah, yeah i've got a few trips planned i don't really want to tell people when just that's fair that's fair online abuse i'll let you know privately and we'll <laughs> catch up and also uh andrew if you're listening uh take more time off because i like doing this Oh, what a guy. I really do appreciate it, Hal. Um, very, very much enjoyed chatting to you, as I said. Uh, you can uh, find Hal at, uh, well, on, on the Sheffield United Way YouTube channel. Um, I don't have your Twitter in front of me. Where is it? It's Hal the Blade, isn't it, of course? That's it. How can you forget that? I mean, it's just a fact, that sentence. Yeah, n- nice and easy to remember. Except I didn't remember it until <laughs> Hal the Blade on Twitter. Um, yeah, that's it. I uh, I just did my latest article for uh, the new uh, newsletter that I've started covering Sheffield United Women. So that's Women of Steel. It's uh, let me get the address. It is Substack. No, excuse me. It's Women of Steel. Substack. Com. 
Uh, United women got a draw in their first game of the season, and I just wrote some thoughts about it. Uh, yeah, I, I got back from the City game uh, and caught the last 15 minutes of this game, and it was it was a wild 15 minutes. Could have been about 5-1 to United in those 15 minutes, but uh, yeah, then I was able to watch the full game back via the FA's website, which was great. Um, so yeah, go and go and subscribe to that if people don't already. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, Hal, thanks again. Um, it's been great catching up with you, pal, and uh, I do appreciate it. And, uh, look forward to seeing you in person again. Uh, well, hopefully not too soon, not too, uh, not too soon, <laughs> not too, <laughs> not too long until you're you're back in uh, you're back in the country and at a Blades match. But um, it will be this year, my friend. Excellent stuff. Thanks again, pal. And uh, yeah, I'll catch up with you soon. Cheers. Thank you.